Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, so we are kicking off this new series called Meant to Be. We have been journeying through the book of Genesis ever since last fall. Uh, so we had our uh, seventh birthday in October, and then we walked through the first 11 chapters of Genesis in the fall up until Christmas. And then this year we kicked off Genesis 12 through 22, walked through the story of Abraham, you know, walking by faith. And just so right before Easter, we wrapped up the story of Abraham and, and this crazy story in 22 where he's asked to sacrifice the thing that matters most to him in all the world, my son Isaac. We talk about how that points to Jesus and how the horror of the test points only to the beauty of the lamb. And uh, those are all online if you missed that. And so Abraham's story is mostly wrapped up, but now we're going to be kind of looking at Isaac and Rebecca and their stories. We continue to journey through the book of Genesis, but really going to be kind of looking through this lens of marriage and singleness uh, and some hot button topics as well like that word we don't say often in church, sex, some other things about that. And so that's what we're going to be journeying through. But I was really thinking about marriage this week. And why is it that it seems like women are better at marriage than guys? Like that's just kind of in general, it seems that way. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, they're kind of trained in this like motherhood and wife, like from the time they're little girls, right? Like when they're like, what do we give our little girls? Little baby dolls, right? It's like, give a two-year-old, like, here's a baby doll. Like, go take care of this, right? They they're get trained to be mom, like, super early. And then easy bake ovens, right? Like, you know, and they get these toy vacuums. And, you know, what do they do with their Barbies? Like, they got their Barbies. And, and that's where, and I think women learn how to, like, make drama. It's with the little Barbies, right, in the Barbie house. And they're put all together. What do guys get for toys? Right? For me growing up, maybe if you grew up in the 80s, like G.I. Joe and Transformers, right? You know, Duke, Snake Eyes in the, in the G.I. Joe, they never like, you know, ask their wife before they go on a mission, right? None of those guys are married, right? Like they, so none of us played at being married, you know, when we're younger. So I just think women get trained in this way earlier. And guys, we, we, we got to learn some things. But the reality is, again, we talk about this, that sometimes we think, we're just going to be naturally good at this thing, marriage, parenting, singleness. And then we realize, you know what? I actually don't know as much as I thought I did. And so I need to learn some wisdom and learn some things about this so that those of us who are married, we can have the kind of marriage that God wants for us. Those of us who are single can thrive in singleness the way that God wants you to thrive in that. And in this series, I never never want anyone who's single to feel like a second-class citizen. Like Jesus was single, the Apostle Paul was single. Like, praise God, you can have just all rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of the king with that. Um, and same with like parenting, right? Like we think, hey, I got this. Then we need to learn some things. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is that it takes work to make relationships work. Like we have to work at this. When we don't feel like it, when we don't want to do it, when it's just like, man, it'd be easier just to check out, uh, you know, to not invest in this thing, that's not going to work. It takes work to make relationships work. Can I get a married person to give me an amen? Amen. Yes, you got to work at it. 
See, I think the temptation is we want the gift of a relationship without the giving of ourselves. We want all the benefits without doing the hard work of giving ourselves. That's not how healthy relationships work. We're going to talk about relationships, but again, we're also going to be addressing singleness in this. And each season has its own strengths and weaknesses. Like when you're single, there's good things about that. There's strengths in that. And there's also weaknesses in there. Same thing with marriage. There are beautiful things about being married, but there's some tough things in there. And maybe some of you, you were single and then married and then single again. There's strengths, there's weaknesses in there, there's hard things in that. We're going to talk about sex again in part of this series a little bit. Um, we're going to find those that God has things to say about our relationships, about marriage, about being single that we want to dive in. For those of us who are married, have you ever found yourself maybe over a dinner table and, and you look over at your spouse and it's like, man, what happened? Like, this is just my roommate. And what happened to the passion, the sparks, the, the friendship that we used to have? And I think if you've ever been there, you are not alone at all. You know, all of us, like, right, we go through these seasons where it feels like the thrill is gone. You feel like you have no passion, that life just gets in the way. And, and maybe you're not thinking about walking away. You're not contemplating divorce or doing something crazy, but you're just kind of treading water. And it's like, man, there's got to be more than this. Maybe your relationship's a wreck and you have been talking divorce and no one really knows how serious it is and how alone you feel. But I believe it's possible wherever you are, that your marriage can find resolution, redemption, restoration, that God can get in there and do a work, but it's also going to take some work on your end. And we got to put the work in. And maybe again, your marriage is thriving. Everything is peachy keen. It's amazing. But maybe you can just get some things during this series that will help improve it just a little bit. And I hope is that kind of wherever you're at, married, single, uh, married, single after being married, that you can find some hope for your life. And in this series, again, we're going to look at one of the great love stories in the Bible between Isaac and Rebecca. We've been walking through this whole journey, again, of Abraham. He was this pagan man living in a pagan land, didn't know Jesus. He gets called out. He goes to the promised land. He shows up there. It's a famine land, right? And he makes some mistakes down in Egypt. He gets this promise of a son. Hey, the whole world's going to be blessed through you. You're blessed to be a blessing. Ups and downs of Abraham's life. And I love just all the stories that the Bible tells us about these families. It shows that these stories are real. And so Abraham, again, He's been promised through you. The whole world's going to be blessed because Jesus is going to come through Abraham. And finally, Isaac's there. Then he's asked to maybe sacrifice him. Jesus steps in, right, provides the ram. Where's the lamb? Shows up on Good Friday, right? And so now it's like getting to the end of the life. Sarah, Abraham's wife, has passed away. Abraham's nearing the end of his journey. However, they've got one little problem. His beautiful boy, Isaac, is kind of taking his time on leaving the nest. Isaac's about 40 years old now, and he's not married yet. <laughs> he has not found a bride. He's not left the house. He's not gotten married. And so Abraham's getting a little nervous. Because it's like, okay, how is the promise going to continue through my line if my line doesn't go any further than Isaac? Like, Isaac's got to get married. He's got to find a wife. He's got to have some kids for this thing to continue on. So the question is, is God going to continue to provide? So if you have your Bibles... Uh, we're going to just dive in. We're going through a ton of scriptures. I didn't put them up all up in here. So you have your Bibles, or you can look up on your phone. But we're just going to dive in. Chapter 24 today. Genesis 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was 
old, well advanced in years, well over a hundred. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, again, this is some contextualization here. We don't do this. We shake hands. But in this culture, you'd put your hand under another guy's thigh. And, you know, I think shaking hands is much, much better than this. It's a little awkward. But you know it's serious, right? When a guy asks you to grab you there. Okay. So put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to it, to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Again, Abraham was called out of the godless land, out of Babylon, into the promised land. And the last thing Abraham wants is for his son to go back to where Abraham came from. We should want our kids to start with a better future than where we started from. Amen? We want them to kind of, their floor is our ceiling. We want our kids to build on what we have already built on. We don't want them to make the same mistakes that we have made. And so that's what Abraham is like, don't let him go back to where, back to Babylon. Stay here. So Abraham didn't waver. You can take notes and write this down. The compromise kills our convictions. It's easy to say, well, it'd be easier to move back to that land. You know, the promised land is too hard. You know, I'm just going to make this one little compromise. But if we start to compromise, that's going to kill our convictions. We're going to give up on our beliefs. We're going to give up on the things that matter the most to us. We have to learn to not compromise. Let's go on. Verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, so he starts to pray, O Lord, God and my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who then shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. All right, as followers of God, what we need is both trust and action. We need both trust and action. We've talked about this through the series of Abraham. There's a difference between passive faith and active faith. There are times we need to sit back and trust that God's going to take care of it. There's other times we need, to, we need to take action. We need to have active faith and step into this. So this servant trusted that God would provide a wife for Isaac, but he also took action. He's going to this place. He's saying a prayer. Same in our lives. God's going to take care of you, but there are some things you need to step out and act. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. I believe this is the only time the Bible describes a woman this way. A maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. 
Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. All right, we read that. I don't think you understand what a big deal this is. Like, I'm seriously impressed with this girl. She takes care and waters how many camels? 10 camels. Do you know how much, how many gallons it takes to fill up a camel? 25 gallons. That's more than my minivan. That's like almost double. So it's like, do the math, carry the zero. 250 gallons of water. She's filling up with a little jar. Like, okay, that is seriously impressive. Like, it probably took her an hour, maybe two hours, right? Like, this is a hardworking girl. She's beautiful. She's nice even to camels. Like, you know she's going to be a good wife, right? Like, any woman who's nice to a camel is going to be nice to a man. That's who she is. She's wonderful, hardworking. I mean, she's probably got buff arms because she's been holding all this water, right? Right? This is the whole package. Verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence for, like, probably the hour or two she's filling up the water to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. And so what does she get for hauling all this water? She's rewarded with jewelry. All right, there you go, ladies. If you're looking for a biblical reason to be rewarded with jewelry, it's right here. Now, you got to water some camels, but anyways, there's that. Verse 23. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said... Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she born to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. All right, he's going to worship God because, again, if a buff, beautiful, hardworking woman is going to talk to you and you find out, actually, she's related to the household that I want her to be. This isn't like weird relations like, down in Missouri, you know, no, this is like the good kind. Like, this is what he wanted. So he's going to worship the Lord. The man bowed his head, worshiped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. He was like, man, she's related to the right household. She seems beautiful, kind, buff arms, all this stuff. This is great. Verse 28, Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household after, but all these things. And Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. All right, we've talked about this, right? We're pretty sure Moses wrote most of this. He's a brilliant storyteller. He's going to introduce this character, Laban. All right, this is kind of a villain, a uh, antagonist. We're going to see more about down the road. All right, but he's going to he, he's going to introduce the character now. He's basically a crook. His name means white. So think like white tank top, right, hanging out in a white El Camino. That's this guy. Uh, he shows up on that TV show, Cops, right? That's him. He's an opportunist. Like, he sees the jewelry in his sister's ears, and he's like, hmm, how can I benefit from this? That's this guy. He's always thinking about himself. We're going to learn he's actually a better trickster than Jacob. That's down the road, though. All right, verse 29. So Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, he's like, hmm, how can I benefit from this? And he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. 
So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he basically repeats his story. So we're just going to jump to verse 49. Now then, if you're willing to show steadfast love and faithfulness, these ongoing words again and again, to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother, Laban, and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. And they rose in the morning, and he said, Send me to my master. He wants to get back. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. Laban's trying to do some scheming here a little bit. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they did leave the decision up to Rebekah. Are you going to stay with us? in Babylon in this land, or go with him. She's like, I will go. She continues to be even more impressive. Just like Abraham, when he took that step of faith to leave everything he knew, he left his family, he left his culture, all his stuff to go to the promised land. She's going to do the same thing, just like her future father-in-law here. Now, is this happily ever after? Well, not yet, right? Abraham, uh, Isaac, Rebecca, they haven't met each other. What if it's not a good match? What if he doesn't accept her? Verse 62, now Isaac had returned from Beer, Rahai, Lori, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went to meditate in the field towards evening. He's taking a walk at night. He's doing some meditating, maybe some praying. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. All right, so this is a movie or a TV show. This is like where the romantic music starts to kick in. It starts to swell. He's hanging out. He looks up. He sees these camels. And there's Rebecca off in the distance. So just as... 40-year-old Isaac, now he's out there, he's looking, he sees her, and they both look up at the same time, and this is kind of their meet-cute moment. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebecca. And she became his wife, and he loved her happily ever after. So this is the beginning of kind of their story. There's a couple of little things I want to pull out of here for us today. And again, the next two weeks, we're going to see some big things in their lives. Uh, number one, though, is, is Rebecca takes this veil, and she puts it over her face. Now, again, this is kind of like, think for us, the bridal veil over there. This is like her taking the engagement ring and putting it on her finger. I also want to talk just a little bit about this quick aside to the married couples. Um, in marriage and in your sexual intimacy, uh, there's something that uh, the, that veil thing is, uh, so we have lingerie, right, for, for the ladies and guys if you want to wear it too, but there's something that all of us want mystery. We want a little excitement, a little teasing, and that's where that, that comes into play. And so Again, this is one of those topics we don't talk a ton about, but, however, there are some great Christian sites that if that's something you're interested in, 
that, that have no models on them, that you can go and find that. And again, just to help you have a more playful, loving marriage. And again, we're going to talk about that a little bit more down the road. But again, just with that veil, sometimes when we just uh, have that little bit of mystery involved, uh, it can be a fun thing in our marriages. And God wants us to have fun in our marriages. Amen? And wants you to delight in each other. I know this is a topic we get uncomfortable, and it's like, ah, let's talk about this. But again, we want to just help you have a thriving, loving uh, marriage. Uh, again, for those who are single, I want you to know, again, that singleness is a gift. Uh, we're talking about this relationship between Isaac and Rebecca, but I know we have single people in here. Again, Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28, and then 32. He says, but if you do get married, it's not a sin. Well, that's good. Thanks, Paul. It's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work, or woman, and thinking how to please God. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you to serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Again, if you have no desire to get married, that is totally okay. You're not a second-class citizen in the church at all. For those of you who would like to be married someday, or you are married, or you want to be married again, I'm going to give you a couple little things here that I'm hoping will just give you a little bit that will help your marriage. And this is stuff, again, I'm preaching to myself. It's stuff i got to remind myself all the time. So the first one, write this down, is I'll seek the one while preparing for, if you're single, write down preparing for. If you're married, write down pursuing my two. We talk a lot about our priorities. They have to be in the right order. But God has to be our one. The relationship between us and God is the most important relationship in our lives. That is the number one thing we have to, to be concerned about, that God created us to have a relationship with him. Our sins separate us from God. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price we could not pay. We just celebrated this this last weekend. He died on the cross, then he rose again. And now we can have this relationship with Jesus. And that is our first priority. And then our second is with our spouse, for those of us who are married. And that's your two. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And a lot of times we get messed up when other things like our children move up into that, that same level as, as your spouse or sports or work or other interests. It needs to go God, spouse, kids, everything else. We, so so uh, if you are married, you need to seek after the one, seek after God while continuing to pursue your two. So what happens so often is we get married and then we kind of stop doing the hard work of pursuing our two, of pursuing our spouse. We stop doing the things we did when we were single and, and dating. And so if we want to recapture some of those sparks, it's gonna take us doing that hard work to put the hard work to pursue our spouse. Now, for those who are single, seek God while preparing for your two. Here's the thing, is that sometimes I think when we're single, we think so much about the kind of person we wanna be with, are we becoming the kind of person that the kind of person you're looking for is looking for? Like if you're looking for someone who's, you know, uh, godly and is going to lead you in, in marriage, make sure that you're becoming that kind of person, that the kind of person you're looking for is looking for. 
And so again, we, we have to, uh, again, if, if you are wanting to get married again someday, pursue God, work on becoming the kind of person that the person you're looking for is going to look for. And then also, for those who are married, continue to pursue after God in our own relationship with, with him, and then continue to pursue your two. Second thing, that shame is not the solution. Shame is not the solution. See, so often I think the church's solution has been to place and heap shame on some people. If you're looking for a church that's going to condemn people for making mistakes, a church that's going to condemn people for getting divorced, where you need to keep looking for a different church. Because shame is not the solution. Oftentimes, shame is the source of our problems, so it can't be the solution. Uh, Again, there's so many of my friends who are disentangling themselves out about bad teaching uh, that that filled them with shame. And so now they've walked away from Jesus because they've equated this kind of feelings of shame. But see, the problem is shame is often Satan's act of uh, a tool of connecting the act to our identity. I've been doing this Wednesday night um, uh, interim preaching uh, for, for these high school kids. We talk a lot the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemna- condemnation is I am bad. I am evil. I am, you know, lustful or a liar. Conviction says, no, hey, when I looked at that porn, that was wrong. Hey, when I lied to my friend, that was wrong. Hey, when, when, when you know, uh, whatever it was that we stepped outside of God's bounds for us, and when God reveals that to us, that's good conviction. That's not shame. That shouldn't be condemnation. That's to remind us, hey, I need to turn and get back to where God wants us to be. That God has a specific way for us to live and act. Again, but Satan oftentimes will then try to get us to, to buy into the shame and condemnation. And again, sometimes we get really confused. Because sometimes people will listen to a pastor or they'll read their Bible or something, and they feel this twinge inside. And, and, and they equate the two, You're like, well, hey, you can't tell me how to live, like, right? Like, don't tell me, you know, my business. No, no, no. See, what we're saying is God has a plan for our lives. And, 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 and we talk repentance a lot, teshuva, it's to turn, the idea that if you keep going down this path, you're going to fall off a cliff. You're going to ruin your marriage. Man, my Facebook memories today, oh, it just killed me. Someone <laughs> reposted a, a quote from a sermon uh, six years ago, and she's divorced they're one of our leaders in our church. And man, she didn't pay attention where she was going and went off a cliff and, and it cost him her, her marriage. And so we gotta understand when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us, that is good. That's not shame, that's good. An important direction is what direction are you headed? Are you, we all make mistakes, but are you heading towards Jesus? Are you loving Jesus? Are you following him? Are, are you reading his word and getting to know him? That's what we want. See, when Abraham's servant found Rebekah, she probably didn't have any relationship with Yahweh, the one true God. But she took a step of faith and headed in the right direction. She took a step of faith and headed in the right direction. Um, the, the other thing is, uh, go ahead and put the next slide up there. Next one. There you go. God gives boundaries before the blessings. God gives boundaries before the blessings. See, sex is a blessing. It's a good thing. I think too many Christians have made sex sound dirty. It's not. It's a blessing. You think if I could get an amen, I get an amen right there. Hey, everyone in this room is the product of sex. Let's just be honest with it, right? That's how we all came to be. I know you don't want to think about your parents, but they, they did, you know? 
But here's the deal, is Adam, he's placed in the garden, it's good. What does God tell him? Hey, don't touch that tree. He sets a boundary. Even before sin was there, God sets a boundary. Then he gives the woman, right? He's, he's like, whoa, who is this woman? And, 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 and they're together. But God always is gonna give boundaries before the blessing. Again, fire is this wonderful thing. Someday, the snow is gonna be gone. We're gonna get back to bonfires, right? Amen, right? Fire is this amazing thing in boundaries, right? When we have a fire in the summertime and we're all around, it gives light, it gives warmth, right? That's a good thing. But when fire doesn't have any boundaries and it spreads, it causes untold destruction. The only way to not get burned is to keep that fire in the boundaries. God created sex and he created to burn with white hot passion in the boundaries of a covenantal marriage relation. He, God invented marriage. It was the first institution he invented. Even before he invented the church, he invented marriage. And since he invented it, he gets to set the boundaries for it. God tells us that in order to not get burned, there should be no sexual contact until after marriage. And then there should be a whole ton of it. Let the passion grow white hot. See, sex inside a covenantal marriage is magic. It's blowing on the coals of that incredibly powerful flame. Sex outside of marriage is just typically just about yourself. You're not giving of yourself. You're just trying to receive fulfillment and pleasure. Tim Keller says, sex is a way of saying to the, another person, I belong completely and exclusively and permanently to you. And that's the beauty of a marriage, is that when, when it's within that boundaries, when you pledge to be each other, there can be total trust be, between one another. And there's freedom to be each other. So again, I think too often in the church, I think we've just used shame as a big bucket of cold water and poured it over that fire. I told people, hey, just cooled off. That sex is dirty and gross. Let's not talk about any of this stuff. But God says passion is good. I, I learned that the, the, the root, the etymological root of infatuation is false fire. I think what so often can happen, though, is that when we get in marriage and, and we start with this actual white hot fire between us and then it cools down because life gets in the way, we stop pursuing our two, and it's so easy to be led away by infatuation or false fire. And what happens is we think, oh, you know what? Life would be better if I was married to that person. Life would just be better if I wasn't in this relationship anymore. And it's so easy to see that false fire, that infatuation. But what's going to happen is we're going to get burned by that. And I think all of us have had these thoughts in our heads of just like, because marriage, relationships, friendships take work. Amen? And so instead of just pursuing some kind of false fire, pursue God, our consuming fire. Pursue his purpose, his plans for your passions. And as we pursue God... And then those who are married, we're going to pursue our two. I believe God will reignite some of these flames in our lives. We'll get back on track. Again, my hope is these next couple of weeks, we start to talk about marriage, relationships, singleness. And then we're going to talk about parenting and dealing with in-laws and all that stuff. Is that at the very least, this can spark some good conversations. Chris and I, we've been married 17 years. You can say it's getting a little serious now. Uh, four kids later. And we have to have these kind of conversations all the time. We, throughout our marriage, had, had to check in with different uh, marriage counselors and just, hey, we'll book three, five sessions to say, how are we doing? Get us to start talking. We, we've, we've read different books together, listened to different podcasts. 
again, it's going to take work if you want a thriving marriage or relationship to work. It's not just going to happen by itself. And so, again, if, if in any way, as we talk through the biblical story of this, it starts to spark some conversations, I, I would encourage you, start talking with your spouse about some of these things, especially if in your marriage you never talk about sex or intimacy or pursuing each other or friendship. If you've just drifted apart, like find a time, date night at home, put your kids to bed, right? And, and just start talking about this. Hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what I need from you. And then figure out together, you know, do you need to get better at scheduling date nights? Do you need to find a marriage counselor? Do you need to go, you know, on a weekend to remember a marriage retreat just to kind of, I don't know. But as you begin to talk with your spouse, Hopefully, again, the Lord's going to start leading you in this, and, and you can have a thriving marriage that really is honoring to God. So um, I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to go out of here uh, singing. This is kind of the, just the opening introductory week of this. Again, I'm up here, and this is not a topic I like talking about, okay? Um, just being honest, like, it's awkward, right? My wife's in the room. It's weird. But it's good, right? Again, this is real life. Um, Honestly, it's probably even more awkward than talking about money, uh, which, again, pastors don't like to talk about either. But this is real stuff, right? We all have money. We're all here, the product of sex. Like, that's why we're here. That's how we ended up here. So, again, we want to just help you take your next steps. Um, and so wh wherever you're at, again, we want to encourage you, take your next step. Two things I want to highlight real quick. Our community groups are wrapping up. And what we have is Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. We have different community groups. What does that mean? We gather in a home. Um, uh, somewhere between uh, 10 and 30 people in a house, we eat dinner. Uh, we usually have a component of unplugged worship, uh, and then we discuss the same text, different things, uh, just to uh, help each other grow and take our next steps. Because when we can discuss it, then we can get these truths down deep into our souls. We also talk a lot about, hey, your row doesn't know. When you're struggling, when you're ready to give up in your marriage, the person in your row is not gonna know that thing when you do life with people in circles, then you can know. Is your guitar plugged in now? Nice, good, good. Um, and so again, we'd love to help you get in a community, try it out for a couple weeks. Uh, we also have something called the Green Book. Um, it's just face-to-face -face discipleship for 15 weeks. Most of us, it takes longer than 15 weeks to get through that, that's totally okay. About an hour each week, coffee shop, at a home, wherever. Um, just again, helping you learn what it means to be a disciple and then learn how to disciple someone else. Our goal is that everyone can be discipled and that they can disciple one other person at least. Now, you may not disciple 10, 20, 30 people in your life, but can you disciple one person? So again, connection card, we'd love Christine back there. On your way out, drop that off in there. You can put your prayer request on there. Every Wednesday morning, a group of us gather at 8 a.m. We pray over those prayer requests. Um, yeah, please share what's going on. How can we pray for you? How can we help you take your next steps? I'm gonna pray for us one more time. And then we're going to go out of here singing. God, thank you. Oh, man, that you are here, even on weeks when drummers have to cancel and microphones break and just so many things that can go wrong do go wrong. God, that you are still here. You are still God. God, thank you for the gift of community and getting to worship. And God, thank you for all the kids scattered throughout here and, and for those who are investing in the lives of those children. God, we pray that they would grow up knowing you and loving you and being involved in a church um, that, that is a family on mission together. So God, I just pray right now as we go out of here singing, 
God, that we would know that shame is not the solution, uh, that you are a good God, that you have a plan for us. And so God, let's just know that our identity is secure in you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's go out of here singing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.